Thank you, Ken. I, uh, I really appreciate that. Well, good morning, church. If you guys would go ahead and turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be in James chapter 1 today talking about faithful obedience. And as Ken said, I, I've, I've been with you guys before a couple of times. I was actually uh, with you when you uh, were at the trailer uh, right over here, right next door. I told Ken when I drove up, I said, that looked familiar. He said, well, that's, that's where we were. I said, ah, that, that, that resonates. Uh, and as he said, I was uh, able to uh, lead the uh, missions conference for you guys a few years ago and, uh, and preach uh, at the academy. So it's so good to be back here with you guys and worshiping with you and seeing what God's doing with you uh, and, and blessing you with this, uh, this wonderful facility to be able to gather together as the body of Christ. Uh, and I want to tell you, Ken doesn't know I'm going to do this, <clears throat> and, and he didn't pay me, I promise. Uh, but you guys are really blessed to have Ken as your pastor. Uh, a true man of God that loves his people and cherishes God's word. I, 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 can't, I can't begin to tell you how blessed and fortunate you are to have a man here who week in and week out expositionally opens God's word and teaches it to you. There's so many churches that miss out on that because when we're not continually receiving and absorbing God's word in our lives, we're missing out on what God has designed us to live like. We're missing out on his best. And, and I know this firsthand because I grew up for a number of years going to a church where we didn't dive deep into scripture. And what was being taught, it never made it past my brain and my ears. It never made it to my heart. I, I tried to apply what I had heard being taught and what my mom and dad taught me, but it, it was nothing more than my view of morality. It was action based on what I thought. I never took time to open God's word and allow it to penetrate my heart, to bring righteousness, to bring salvation. I was a peripheral Christian, which is really not a Christian at all. See, I, I thought going to church on Sunday morning and being there while the Bible was taught and believing that Jesus was the Son of God showed my love for Jesus. But the problem is, is that going to a building on Sunday morning didn't make me any more Christian than sitting in my garage makes me an automobile. And believing Jesus is the Son of God is nothing better than the demons did, and we see that in Scripture. My, my true thing that I missed out on was I didn't want to know Jesus more. I didn't love him enough to dig into his word as he revealed himself. After all, when we say we love something or someone, don't we want to spend time knowing that person or knowing that thing more? Spouses, if you say that, husbands, if you say you love your wives and you never spend time with them, getting to know what's going on in their lives, being a part of their lives, what does that really say? And if we say we love some game or some activity and we never play it, we never do it, we never practice it, we never watch it, what does that say? See, to love Jesus is to love him enough to want to know him more. To spend time understanding how he has revealed himself and he's revealed himself right here to us. And Jesus says this in scripture many times. To love him is to obey his commandments. He says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He continues on and he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. 
And very directly in John 15, 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus says to love him is to love the word. To love him is to obey his commandments. But the most direct and confrontational address to this comes from the Apostle John. In 1 John 2, 4, John says, Whoever says, I know him, speaking of Jesus, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Church, there is no alternative. To love Jesus is to obey his word. Jesus is calling us to a life of faithful obedience. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to be starting in James chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 19. But before we dive into the passage, I want to set the context because I think the context is really important for us here. James was the oldest half-brother of Jesus. And he wrote this letter to persecuted Christians that had been scattered because of their persecution. He was writing this letter to them to help them understand what it meant to truly live by faith based on obedience to God's word. And James wrote this letter based a lot on the teachings that he had heard from Jesus himself. In fact, he really directly correlates a lot to the Sermon on the Mount as you read this whole letter. What James is doing is James is telling these persecuted brothers and sisters this that you're going through it's nothing compared to the faith that you have and the hope that you have and he continued to reinforce that with them and that's why he started in James right here in chapter 1 he starts with talking about the trials that they were going through because he knew this was prevalent this was serious the trials or circumstances around them that was pressing in on them and causing them Severe suffering. And he was telling them, consider those trials joy because they're drawing you closer to the Father. Because you're dependent on the Father as you go through them. And when you come through those, you come through purified, leaning on God, depending on God, being conformed more into the image of Christ. And then he goes into temptations. And he's encouraging them there. Don't fall victim to the temptation of questioning your faith in God. Those temptations are not being brought by God. Those temptations are a result of your own sinful desires. Don't listen to those. So what James is doing is he's going from the outside and the circumstances to the internal, which is the temptations, and he's bringing the believers to the core of true faith, the core of the Christian life. He's bringing them to the word of God. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. He's working from the outside in to get to the foundation. And that's where in verse 18, he says that God, through his word of truth, brought salvation. Be encouraged. He brought salvation through the word of truth. And that brings us right to the passage that we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles... Read along with me in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What James is telling us here is he's urging believers to base their lives on the word of God. And he provides a very simple process for us. Two actions that every true believer should take. Humbly receive the word and wholeheartedly respond to the word. A simple but profound process that we're going to look at today. The first thing he says is to humbly receive the word. He says in verse 19, knowing this, my beloved brothers, he's pointing back to verse 18, knowing that God gave us the word of truth for salvation, knowing this, my beloved brothers, it is the word that saves. It is the word that transforms. It is the word that sustains us. It is the word that is the foundation of the Christian life. And we must humbly receive the word and continue to receive the word. And he uses three statements here to help us understand what he means. He says in verse 19, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And all of these are in the context of the word of God because that's the theme of the passage. When he says to them to be quick to hear, what he's saying is prioritize listening to God. What he's literally saying is, hurry up and listen to God. Listen to God's word. Whether you're listening to it as you read it, or you're listening to it being read, or you're listening to it being taught, listen to God's word and listen carefully. And he moves on to the second thing and he says, be slow to speak. What he's saying here is that as we're listening to God's word, we are never to interrupt God. What he means by this is it's, it's active listening versus framing your argument. And you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I'm, I'm quite sure I'm not the only one that's been in a conversation with someone before. And as they're explaining their views on things or they're talking about something, you immediately start framing what you're going to say when they get through? Spouses, ever done that in those productive conversations with one another? He's crazy. And as soon as he quiets down, I'm going to tell him this, right? Employees, you ever done that with bosses? Kids, you ever do that with your teachers or with your coaches? It can be the same with God's word. We can sometimes approach God's word looking to justify ourselves. To validate our view on things. 
And this is what James is warning us against. That when God's word is being taught, when you are reading God's word, listen in silence so that you can receive everything God has to say and focus your energy on his word and not your words. And then the final thing he says here is to be slow to anger. Now this one almost seems kind of out of context since we said this has to do with the word of God. But what we have to understand here is the word that's used here in the original language, the word that's used here has two different meanings depending on the word that you're reading anger translated. Anger can mean this outward burst, this red-faced yelling that we typically associate with anger. But that's not the word that James is using here. The other word in the New Testament language for anger is an internal resentment. An internal resentment. And that's what James is saying. What he's saying here is that we have got to approach God's word without having selfish defenses up. That we can put up these selfish defenses to validate ourselves. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to say that we've come to God's word before and thought to ourselves, how do I get around this? Did God really say that? Does that sound familiar? We can quickly miss out on what God's trying to tell us because what we're doing is we're approaching it with our own view on things. And people have done this throughout history. All the way back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets who spoke God's word were resented. They were rejected. Christ, who was the word incarnate, rejected. Paul in Acts, boldly preaching the gospel, not only rejected, but Paul was taken out and stoned and left for dead. All of this based on a desire to not to want to change. Hearing God's word cut to the heart and saying to yourself, I don't want to give that up. Or saying to yourself, God, are you really calling me to a remote village in India? It's approaching God's word with an understanding that as God's word is read and as God's word is taught, if you are a true receiver of the word, then you know that that cut that you feel, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And this anger of rejection, of pushing it off, can miss out on the righteousness of God. The receiver of God's word realizes that the conviction is from the spirit, analyzes himself or herself, and immediately looks to try to change that. And that brings the righteousness of God. The one who approaches God's word with resentment and defenses up, the only thing they do is justify themselves. And that brings self-righteousness. Repenting and changing one's life from the things that you hear in God's word allows you to be in alignment with God and helps you to properly receive the word of God. 
James continues in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The world thinks much differently from the word, doesn't it? And we're bombarded every day with messages from the world. Get more. Watch out for yourself. He who dies with the most toys wins. All completely in direct conflict with the word of God. So the believer has to remove these impurities, has to consciously and constantly remove this filthiness of the world. I love the the word that James uses here, put away. It's to take off. It's like taking off the clothes of the world, taking off all of the filthiness, and instead stepping up and allowing God to direct you. Getting rid of all these worldly thoughts and focusing on the righteousness of God the purity of a life devoted to God, and only then can we properly receive the Word of God. The Word that is properly taught but not properly received is like seed that's thrown onto hard ground. It never penetrates in. And if the seed doesn't penetrate in and that outer shell get rid of itself, then the life germ that is within that seed can never produce any fruit inside of you. Ken can stand up here Sunday in and Sunday out and expositionally and honestly and authentically bring the word of God. And if it just hits you and it doesn't get from here to here, then it might as well have just bounced off. James commands his readers, receive with meekness the word of God. I love this. James is pointing back to God's word in Jeremiah in chapter 31 where God told his people that he would write his law on their hearts and he would be their God and they would be his people. Think about that for a second, that God loves you enough that he's willing to write his law in your heart. To call you his people. The word brings the truth of the gospel which shows the way to salvation. And when we surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and put our full faith in him alone for the salvation that we need, then we have that implanted word written on our hearts. We set aside all that, is fo- that, that focuses on ourselves and we prepare ourselves with a teachable spirit. That's what James means when he says receive in meekness, with a teachable spirit. We prepare ourselves humbly approaching God's word with a now a life that's open to receiving God's word, which takes us to the second act in the process, and that is to wholeheartedly respond to God's word. Look at verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This, this is the heart of the passage. Be doers of the word. This is the heart of the passage. Because the deepest desire of every Christian should be to know and follow the word of God. It's not enough to simply receive it. God's word calls us to action. 
to act on the word, to obey the word, to give yourself over to the word so that the word can transform you from the inside out. The Bible was not given to us to increase our knowledge. It was given to us to transform our lives. As James says, we're called to be doers of the word. This is really important here because this is the heart of the passage, but I want to make it very clear. We are not saved by what we do. We're saved by truly receiving the word, by allowing the Holy Spirit to come in us as the word is implanted in our hearts, by putting our full trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But when that happens, the natural reaction is to respond to the word. It's calling us to rid ourselves of all of us, to put aside everything that has to do with our selfish desires, our own thoughts, our own wants, and align those more with the word. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that new believers desire the pure milk of the word. I love that analogy. Because he's making that analogy like it's a baby. Because everybody can understand the physical understanding of a baby. A baby doesn't have to be coerced to want milk. Many times did your baby actually, you have to say, do you want, you know, you put the bottle in and screaming for milk, right? Wanted milk, couldn't, couldn't wait to have milk. It's the same way with us. When we receive Jesus Christ, we should desire the word of God. But it doesn't stop there. Peter goes on to say that as you mature, because the word, the milk is bringing nourishment and growth to the baby, the word is bringing nourishment and growth to the believer. And as the baby matures from milk to meat, we mature from the basic tenets of our faith to the deeper understandings of the word. But that only comes through an appetite that continually wants to grow more and more understanding what it means to live a life and respond to the word. However, if we're hearers only, then James says we deceive ourselves, thinking that we live a godly life. What he's saying to us is you have not really listened to the word if you're not obeying the word. You have not received the word if you're not obeying the word. And he provides a great example of this and the difference between the hearers and the doers. Look back at verse 23. He said, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing thing we have to realize is in 40 AD, mirrors were much different than they are today. They didn't have high polished glass. Instead, what they had was polished metal, like this platter, which is great to be able to use because my wife and I got this as a wedding gift 24 years ago. We might have used it five times. So to be able to use it up here today is great. Number six, baby. Have you ever tried to see yourself in reflection 
I mean, I've definitely seen people in restaurants before, right, with a knife trying to see if they've got something, you know, on their face or whatever else. But if you look, you have to look intently, and you've got to get the light just right. And even when you do, there's still imperfections. There's imperfections in the metal, which means the details are missed. Essentially, you're not looking at reality. And due to the imperfections, it can cause us to lose focus. I mean, personally, I have a big mirror in my bathroom, and in the mornings, I can be getting ready, and if I get a call from work, and I walk over into the closet because nobody wants to hear the echo of the bathroom, you know, and I take the call, and I realize I've got to do something, I completely forget where I was in getting ready. I have gone to work unshaven. I've gone to work with uncombed hair now. That was when I used to have more hair than I do now. That really mattered. It doesn't matter as much today. But when we lose focus on what we were doing in front of the mirror, we forget. And that's what James is talking about here. Saying the person walks away from the encounter and immediately forgets because there's nothing that's been changed. And this is exactly what it's like for somebody to take a glance at the word and not allow it to penetrate, to passively listen. Doctrine that is heard but not truly received inwardly has little value because it quickly vanishes. And this, this is a warning from James when he says, do not deceive yourselves because hearers, people who are hearers only, a lot of times don't even know they're hearers only until one day when that word really penetrates their lives and causes an action and now they understand the word. There are plenty of people who become expert listeners. They can regurgitate the things in the word of God all day long, but they've never committed their lives to allowing the word to transform them. They don't apply the tenets. And in contrast to these people, James says in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law. I love the word looks into here. It's, it, it's a word that means intense investigation. It reminds me of my son, Max, who's uh, interning at uh, our church, so he's not here with us today. Uh, he's there, but, but when he was two or three years old, we'd be in the backyard playing, and, and a bug or a worm or something would crawl by, and he would get down and get within inches of it, touching it, looking at it, examining it from all sides. That's the word that James is saying here. He's saying when we approach the word that way and we're looking at it from every aspect, we're investigating it because we love it, we cherish it, we care about it, we want to know more about it. It's not a casual hearer. It's someone who's focused on and studying and examining because we want it to transform us. And look at the contrast between these two as well. The hearer only, what's his goal? He's looking at a picture of himself. This is what he's measuring himself by, what he sees in the mirror. There's no life change needed. Might need a haircut, but that's it. But look at the doer of the word. The doer of the word is looking into the perfect law, 
The law is seen through the life of Jesus Christ. The law of liberty, James calls it, which is beautiful because the word not only commands us, but it frees us to live out the will of God. It brings freedom because it empowers us and equips us to live out the life God has called us to live. Do you know what freedom is? Freedom is when what you want to do aligns with what you ought to do. It's no longer work. It's a joy. That's freedom. And that's what the law of liberty brings. The doer of the word studies it and looks at it, seeking any blemishes to correct them. And he immediately begins applying the word so that he does not forget what God just taught. And look what James says to him. Says he will be blessed in his doing at the end of verse 25. It's a simple formula. Hearing plus obedience equals blessing. Likewise, hearing minus obedience equals self-deception and eternal loss. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The doer of the word meditates on the law consistently, feeding on it, nourishing on it, allowing it to bring transformation inside. And others will see this growth. They'll see the fruit of God's word in your lives because it will become a natural overflow of the life. See, the word changes our character. It changes our character because we have the indwelling word of God inside of us, which then changes the way we think about things. And as it changes the way we think about things, then that changes the way that we do things, our actions on the outside. It's a natural response. You're not having to think about it. You just see people differently. I know before I became a Christian, I used to say I loved this person and I loved this person and it wasn't until I experienced the love of Christ I knew what love really was. And then I realized, eh, I didn't love them. I even really didn't even like them. But I love them now for a different reason. I love them because God loves them. And because God loved me enough to bring salvation to me, I want them to have that gift too. That's the transformation he's talking about. And James provides three quick examples as we get ready to close up here. He gives us three examples of actions that serve as a test for properly responding to the word. Look back at verse 26. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is once again clearing up self-deception related to responding to the word. And we see that here as he gives us a test. He gives his readers a test of three things. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list. This is not a to-do list. This is a test. If these things make sense to you, apply them to your lives. And the first example is to control your tongue. A controlled tongue. 
And we need to remember that James is using the teachings of Jesus here. He's basing them on that. And Jesus in Matthew 12, 34 said that essentially what comes out of the mouth is an overflow from the heart. So what we see here is our speech is a reflection of our heart. Do not fall victim to believe that my words don't hurt. Your words can hurt your witness beyond anything you understand. We live in a day of texting and posting on social media and all of those things. And we're bombarded with told, you know, when you think something, get it out there. I want to encourage you, don't do that. Don't do that. What you say reflects on the Lord you serve if you are truly his. Take a pause. Allow your heart to drive what comes out of your mouth as opposed to the reaction that comes from your head. Then you can properly represent the Lord. James discusses controlling the tongue even more in chapter 3 where he says essentially no human can control their tongue. It's only controlled through the Holy Spirit. Which I love that because a controlled tongue is evidence that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you've got the indwelling word. So the second example he gives is a caring heart. He refers to two groups here that are the most destitute in the church of the day. He talks about orphans and widows. And we've got to remember in 40 AD, they didn't have life insurance policies. They didn't have a foster care system. Orphans and widows often had no hope to physically survive without someone intervening for them. James is not giving us a list. As long as you take care of orphans and widows, you're good. It's not what he's doing. What he's talking about here is sacrificial love. He's talking about loving someone enough to take care of those that are in need, expecting nothing in return because they can give you nothing in return. And this sacrificial love is once again an example that you are doing the word, that you have the transformation. And the final example is a clean life. A clean life. Where he says to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a constant, constant keeping one unstained. Because we are constantly, constantly being being bombarded with the stains of the world. Keep yourself unstained from the world. To use the old adage, be in the world, but we're not of the world. We see that in Jesus' prayer in John 17. One pastor said, the boat needs to be in the water, but the water doesn't need to be in the boat. I like that one. We are saved and left in this world to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, reflecting the word of God in order to help those who don't have this wonderful gift of life that we have to see what it is to have that gift. 
We're left here to share the gospel. We're left here to live out the gospel. We're left here to reflect Christ. Christ died for us on the cross. We are to live for him in this world. And that's what James is talking about. Reflecting the word of God in our lives proves that we've received the indwelling word and that we are responding to the word in us. You know, I heard a quote once that said, I heard and I forgot, I saw and I remembered, I did it and I understood. And Ken, I don't know about you, but as a preacher, that doesn't really resonate well with me because all they're doing is hearing our sermons, right? But if you take nothing else away from this, understand this, that when we truly receive the word of God, we are called to respond to the word of God. And when we respond to the word of God, we reflect Christ for other people to see. And we are transformed, conformed into the image of Christ. We receive great blessing. Others will see that in us. And as our transformation happens and we respond to the word by doing the word, then we will understand the word even more. I did it and I understood. One of the greatest things for me leading mission trips and, and, and taking people into faraway places that they are completely uncomfortable is watching them strip off all that they usually base their comfort on and watching God use them in a mighty way. And they discover for the first time what it really means to truly depend on God. I've been there. I have taught many lessons on trusting in God, and it's not until you're standing in a maximum security prison in Maracaibo, Venezuela, where there are no guards, there's nothing else, there's just prisoners walking around with machetes and everything else, true story, that you realize, I'm all on you, God, this is you. And that's what we do when we respond to the word. We experience the fullness of what it means to be dependent on Christ. So it's, it, it's time for us to do a little self-examination. We hear the word. We know where to receive the word. We know that we respond to the word. But the first question is, have you really received the word of God? Have you truly received the word? Don't make the mistake I made. Don't think because you've come here and you're sitting in this building that you've just received the word. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that there are few on the narrow road that is on the way to heaven and there are many on the broad way that are not on the way to heaven. Both of these groups think they're on the way to heaven. The difference is the narrow road is full of doers of the word. The wide and easy road is full of hearers only. And if you don't know which road you're on, if you've never come to the point that you've truly given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repented of your sins and turned from them and given your life to Him as Lord and experienced the fullness of what that is to receive that indwelling Word of God, then I'll be around after the service. I know Pastor Ken will be here. Bob will be here. We'd love to talk to you about that. But for the majority of the people who have received the word, 
and you know you're on the narrow way, are you responding to the word? Are you continually looking to the word to drive how you live your life? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit in you who gave you the word to be the one to guide you? James tells us, receive the word, respond to the word. It's a simple process and it's one that brings great blessing by living for Christ every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of the word. We thank you that we can freely come to you, Lord, and allow you to guide our every step. Allow you to show us the life that you purpose us to live. You created us in your image for your glory. And through our own sin, we fell away, Lord, but by your grace, you gave us a way back. And Lord, if we have truly received the word, may we walk out of here, Lord, responding to the word in every aspect of our lives, surrendering ourselves to you as our Lord, following you in your example, modeling for others to see the commandments that you have given us, Lord, not to be rules, but to help us fit into the mold that you have prepared us for, that we can live the life that you designed us to live. Lord, may we take your word, may it bring nourishment, and may it continually transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.